Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Ribbon. This podcast is brought to you by Pete's Car Smart Kia. These guys are not here just to sell you a car, but they believe in building relationships with their customers and the community. Visit their website at petescarsmartkia.com and be sure to follow them on their social media platforms as well. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Ribbon. My name is Ryan Parnell and as always I'm joined by my co-host and oncology nurse Pam McMillan. Hi Ryan, how are you today? I'm doing good, Pam. How are you? I'm good. Hey, have you ever had um, one of our survivors come and ask you a hard question? You know, I have, and it's um, it's challenging sometimes, right? Yeah. Sometimes I get questions that I don't really know the answer to. And so I know that you and I have made a commitment to go to a source that can answer the hard questions. So today I'm really excited about our guest. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we committed to that from the outset. Those of you that are listening know that we've committed to asking the hard questions and so uh, and getting answers to those hard questions, because uh, as you as many of you know, and I've said this on several occasions, I'm non clinical. And so, um, you know, we're going to a clinician for answers uh, for you guys in today's episode, um, I think is one. uh, Well, I shouldn't say I think I know Uh, you're going to learn a lot because I know in preparation for today's episode, both Pam, I know you would agree, uh, and myself, we learned a lot just in research for today's episode. There's a lot of information out there. That's right. So I want to start with this, though. Um, Today's episode, uh, we're going to be diving into medical cannabis, and we're going to be diving into CBD and uh, benefits, side effects, legalities, and so forth. And uh, have we got an outstanding, uh, no pressure uh, guest for today's episode. But I wanna say this, Um, please make sure you understand there are significant legalities around this topic um, that we're gonna be discussing. And um, as always, we always defer you to your physician. We always defer you back to your treatment facility. And we want that to be upfront. The second thing is, is we want you to know that, that Uh, As we've done in the past where we've had talks on acupuncture at the center or talks on things that maybe I might be a little uncomfortable with or maybe Pam might be a little uncomfortable with, but we're not shying away from those topics because we want to make sure we're educating you. That's the key point is education. And so uh, that's no different than today. So I want to make sure everyone understands that up front is um, that this is a very important topic to educate yourself on. And I think um, you might want to listen to this one two or three times and take notes, right, Pam? Yes, I'm really excited about our guests. We have Eloise Thiessen, um, who is the president of the American Cannabis Nurse Association. She's also a board certified nurse practitioner. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. And I applaud you bringing up this topic for your listeners. Sometimes it's a hard topic to talk about, um, especially with all of our um, rules or laws around it. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Yes, thank you. My uh, practice is primarily in cannabis. I've been working in nursing now for over 20 years, but the last seven years have focused on helping patients who want to use cannabis as a treatment modality. Uh, My background is in oncology, so I naturally get quite a few cancer patients who are looking to use cannabis for symptom relief, whether that's pain, anxiety, insomnia, um, other issues. And I'm also the president of the American Cannabis Nurses Association, like you mentioned, 
Um, I did co-author a book with Alice O'Leary Randall, Pain-Free with CBD, Everything You Need to Know About Cannabidiol to Use It Safely and Effectively. Um, and I also have an education and training company, Radical Health, that has come up with content for healthcare professionals, specifically nurses who want to know more about cannabis um, and become educated to help their patients. It sounds like we came to the right person. That's right. Thank you. You know, Pam, I, I think this is something that um, uh, Eloise just hit on about education. Uh, there's so much new and evolving information coming out. Um, education is key and not only educating in this case, we're educating our survivors, but we're also, I mean, it's important, right. Uh, to for physicians and nurses to be educated about this. That's right. So let's start with the basics. Can you help us, um, understand what medical cannabis is and is there a difference between medical cannabis and your traditional marijuana? This is a good question. And I think one of the things around education is that there's a lot of misinformation out there right now. So our patients are turning to mostly Dr. Google to get information about cannabis right now. And unfortunately, most of that information is not reviewed by a healthcare professional or practitioner. So it's hard to trust that information. And when you look at medical cannabis versus marijuana, the, these terms are also very confusing. You have the cannabis plant cannabis sativa and under cannabis sativa, you have marijuana, which is now being classified as high THC. And then you have hemp, which is being classified as high CBD. And in states that have both a medical and an adult use or recreational program, the products are generally the same. It just depends on what people are using them for. So we do have, and I'm sure we'll get into this, evidence around cannabis working for things like chronic pain, sleep, muscle spasms, anxiety. So there's not much difference in the product selection in states that have medical and adult use. Um, medical cannabis usually means you have to have a qualifying condition in order to use it. So in some states, if you have um, debilitating anxiety, you may not qualify for those programs if that condition is not listed in that state. Yeah, you know, um, our state is is very unique in and of the way that it has that. Uh, and we'll talk about that in, in just a bit, because that's something that's very important is that list as you're talking about. But let's talk about if we can um, kind of how it works. You know, how does cannabis work? And I, I know um, in my research and, and, and listening to another podcast that you were on about uh, the endocannabinoid system, and, and maybe that's something our listeners have, or maybe they haven't heard about, but let's educate them about how um, how does actual cannabis really work on their body? Yeah, thank you for bringing up the endocannabinoid system. It, it is a very important regulatory system. And we actually didn't discover it until the early 1990s. So as a scientific community, we, we're still really discovering what it can do. And it's a group of receptors in our body that when we use cannabinoids, whether they come from the plant or they're synthetic, helps restore our body back to homeostasis. So it regulates things like our mood, our appetite, our sleep, our pain perception, and our memory. And so many people are using cannabis to help, again, relieve or restore themselves back to homeostasis. And that really helps us understand why cannabis is working for so many different conditions. You know, I think um, people naturally become skeptical when they see all the ways that cannabis can help, but the endocannabinoid system really does explain why we're seeing such great success. 
So what are the benefits for a cancer survivor or cancer patient? Yeah, I think um, I'm going to bring up what I would consider a tough, uh, tough topic in this area because um, often when people think about cannabis, um, they may have had some experience with THC specifically that has been negative. They may have tried it. They may have seen a loved one who didn't have a good experience. Um, most of my patients that come to me tell me they don't want to get high, right? And when I dive into that, you know, what does that mean? They're afraid they're going to lose control or hallucinate. Um, but THC in very small doses can have a euphoric effect. So it can actually improve their mood. Um, they can feel more communicative with their spouse. They can be more relaxed. Sometimes they're laughing again. And I think this is actually a very important and welcomed side benefit of cannabis for our cancer patients who are often having to go through, you know, multiple appointments and multiple scans and have that anxiety related to their treatment and their diagnosis and their prognosis. So that's one benefit that isn't really discussed very often. Um, I also see a lot of benefit with chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting and chemotherapy-induced peripheral neuropathy. In fact, we're starting to see some good evidence come out around the use of that. Um, anxiety, chronic pain. There's great evidence to support cannabis as effective for chronic pain and um, sometimes depression as well. And of course, sleep. Yeah. You know, um, it's interesting talking about that's a lot of systems that it's touching, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's the, the benefit is, is it seems very widespread and is that because the endocannabinoid system is widespread throughout the body or is it something that is just, I mean, it's, it's not just in one central location. Yeah. Great point, Ryan. It's actually thought to be the most um, abundant group of receptors out of all receptors in our body. So you can find, we have two main receptors in the endocannabinoid system and not to, to uh, get too scientific for the listeners, but these cannabinoid receptors, CB1 is primarily found in our central nervous system. So our, our brain and CB2 is primarily found in immune cells. So we are seeing some um, uh, anti-inflammatory effects from cannabinoids as well. And, you know, we can find the receptors in our heart and our liver and our lungs. Um, it's everywhere. Our bones. Wow. So, and you were talking about how, um, some of your patients come to you and say, you know, I want to experience the benefits without some of the negativity. So touch on that if you can, Eloise, about the side effects, potential side effects. Absolutely. You know, most of them are dose dependent. So one of the um, key points that I touch on with my patients is talking about um, controlling the dose. The, the more that you control the dose, the more you can control your experience. And so we don't have standardized dosages, dosing protocols in place for things like chronic pain, anxiety, or sleep, because we haven't had these large human clinical trials to demonstrate you know, what dose you should use. And so um, often a new user will go into a dispensary or, or store and take the recommendation of that staff, and that may be too much for them. What happens is that um, cannabis has a bi-directional effect. So low dose might help you sleep but a large dose might keep you up all night. Um, so, you know, going low and slow is obviously really important. One, to avoid side effects and two, so that you don't miss that therapeutic window. Um, so people can, you know, sometimes have the opposite effect of what they're looking for. Sometimes it can make them nauseated. 
<laughs> when they're trying to treat nausea, right? Mm. Um, sometimes it can make them anxious and they're trying to treat anxiety. So um, again, all of that can be avoided um, as long as you understand how much you're consuming and what in what ways you're consuming can also affect those side effects. So what are the common routes of usage? It depends on what state you live in. Um, if you have a medical cannabis program, some states like New York are very restrictive and have more of a pharmaceutical approach to their medical cannabis program. So they offer very limited um, routes of administration, but we can do uh, inhalation, which of course feels very counterintuitive to people who are sick, but we do have some studies to demonstrate that short-term use of inhalation can be beneficial without having long-term effects. Um, we have sublingual, so something under the tongue that can work rapidly. We have ingestion or uh, capsules, edibles, tinctures, things like that, that can work. Um, we have topicals, so salves, lotions, balms. We have transdermal patches that can actually work and get into the bloodstream systemically. And we can't forget suppositories, believe it or not, they're out there. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not usually my first go-to choice, nor is it my patients, but they are available. <laughs> There's a lot of options out there. Yes. Wow. Very versatile. Now, are there are there some states are there some states that all of those are available? California, California, uh, Oregon. I think that the Washington states you've seen legalization um, for adult use. You're you're seeing an expansion of product availability. Wow. Okay. Well, I tell so you. Oh, go ahead, Pam. So I'm thinking like um, our oncologists they prescribe pain medication <laughs> and then we have to wean them off is that something that patients have to do with cannabis too it depends on how much they're consuming i mean i've certainly seen withdrawals of people who use high dosages of cbd and thc if they stopped abruptly we will see side effects um, irritability diarrhea headaches you know similar to what you might see with an opioid withdrawal they're much more mild um, than you would see with other medications. Um, if they're taking really low dosages and they stop abruptly, usually we, it's uneventful. Okay. Are there any, and this is kind of a broad question, but you know, uh, is it counterintuitive with any of the other medications that they may be taking, like some of their chemos or some of their pills or uh, anything like that that they're taking? Yeah, I mean, that's another really great question. There's... Um, more likely we're going to see an interaction with CBD versus THC. And CBD, the way that it's metabolized is um, similar to how many of our other medications are metabolized. So in the book um, that I co-authored, that was the chapter that I um, contributed was um, putting together a chart specifically for CBD and potential drug-to-drug -drug interactions. Um, you know, there's cases where people need to be monitored we rarely see a drug interaction to the point where you are not allowed to take cannabis or CBD. Um, warfarin or Coumadin is the one medication you definitely need to be monitored because it has such a, a small therapeutic window. Um, in terms of chemotherapy, because a lot of cancer patients worry that their cannabis regimen may interfere with the effectiveness of their chemo, we've actually had a couple studies come out recently looking at um, Tamadar and Oxaliplatin 
um, and Taxol, where the use of cannabis did not um, affect the anti-tumor effects of the chemotherapy. So there was no um, interaction that interfered with their therapy. Well, that's good to hear. That's really good to hear. Because mm-hmm. I know, um, you know, this is one of those times for our listeners, you know, always consult with your provider. You know, that's that that's key. We want to make sure everybody understands that because they're, the last thing you want is to be counterproductive with what your, your treatment regimen is uh, in helping control the side effects. Absolutely. So Ryan, what, um, I know you and I both did some research. Um, let's talk about Texas laws. Yeah. 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 Let's talk about Texas. Before we get to CBD. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, Pam, you know, we listened to, uh, in our research, we listened to a podcast that Eloise was on. And uh, if you'll bear with me, Eloise, to to uh, recite something you said is, we know our patients are using medical cannabis or CBD. We know they are. You know, it's important to know everything around it and to be educated about it. And so uh, in doing that uh, research on our end, um, I was quite surprised, honestly, and I guess I shouldn't be because of Texas being such conservative state. However, we are becoming a little more less conservative in areas. And I, I and Pam, you know, we talked about how um, it's an ever evolving process and they're continuing to add things and continuing to work through that. So let's just jump in again. This is this is this may be a lot of education for folks to get to the end point of is it legal or not legal, but I think it bears uh, worth looking at it. So, you know, in Texas, we do have what's called a compassionate use program, which is a very strange name um, for, for something that can potentially be such uh, a, a great benefit. Um, it started in 2015, Pam, with one uh, disease, one disease state that you could use uh, medical cannabis for, and it was intractable epilepsy. Um, you know, and so then that expanded just recently in 2019, Pam, can you want to talk about the ones that it, it expanded to? It um, included terminal cancer, um, MS, Parkinson's and ALS. With the compassionate use um, program, it's kind of interesting. Um, a physician has to write the prescription and there's not very many physicians in the state of Texas for as large as it is. Um, in January of 2021, um, only 263 physicians qualified to write that. Right. Very interesting. And there's none in the Texas Panhandle. Yeah. You know, the closest one we found is about two hours from us uh, in Lubbock and uh, one in Wichita Falls as well, which is uh, quite a bit further than than Lubbock. So we don't even, Eloise, we don't even have anyone here in our communities um, that can apply or put someone to the compassionate use program. Um, But here's one thing that's very interesting um, there's only three companies in the state of Texas that have been approved to supply medical cannabis for as large a state as we are. Um, they've only, um, approved three, uh, companies to, pr- to provide that, um, uh, for those patients. And the other thing, and I, I want to get your opinion on this, Eloise, cause I know that, um, this is, uh, I, it was surprising to me, but, uh, but I think it's uh, from what I've learned, it's, it's common. So medical cannabis is capped at a 0.5% THC. 
And I since learned too that CBD is at 0.3%. Um, can, can you help us under, understand a little bit about that? Absolutely. I mean, I'm not surprised. Um, is it okay if we pause for just a second? My husband let the dog outside. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay, sorry. Would you mind <laughs> re-asking the question, sure. Ryan? <laughs> God for editors. That's okay. That's okay. It, it came as a surprise to me, but I don't know that it's uh, much of a surprise after learning about the percentages and kind of where things are. Um, medical cannabis here in Texas is capped at 0.5% THC when CBD is uh, 0.3%, up to 0.3%. And I was kind of surprised about that, but can you kind of educate our listeners as to the varying percentages on those? Yeah, you know, it does get really confusing really quickly. And I'm I'm not surprised that there's only been um, three manufacturers approved in Texas because usually the process of becoming, um, you know, qualified to provide these products is very um, labor intensive and costly. Um, in 2018, the farm bill passed, which essentially legalized hemp. So hemp became descheduled. And within that, they said as long as the THC was 0.3% at dry weight, um, CBD could be sold. And so that's why you're seeing all these products in the market, whether online or in grocery stores or health food stores. Um, I'm not sure why Texas came up with a 0.5% THC limit, but um, people are often... Um, who make these um, laws are often uneducated. Um, on the benefits of THC. And there's a lot of misinformation around THC. So one of the things I hear often is THC is recreational and CBD is medicinal. And, you know, my response to that is there are no bad cannabinoids. Um, again, it really comes down to dosing and how, you know, how you're using that. So 0.5% THC likely isn't going to be enough to help these qualifying conditions that Texas has approved. Um, but we are seeing other states where they really are trying to limit the THC percentages, um, which again is arbitrary. It's not, not based on science. It's more based on fear. So, but just, so if I, if I understand you correctly, adjusting the percent is not really affecting the dose because it's dose dependent more so than percentage dependent. Right. So an example would be um, you can get flower material, right? So when, when the plant grows and it flowers, um, usually we're testing the cannabinoid percentage. So THC can be as high as 30%. Um, so somebody who inhales that, of course, is going to get an incredibly large dose, or if they took that 30% and then made it into an edible at home, again, would be an incredibly large dose. Um, but a lot of times now what we're seeing with products is they're, they're taking the plant material and they're making dose specific products. So, you know, a two, two milligram uh, mint, uh, a five milligram blueberry, a, you know, 200 milligram tincture. So um, we focus more on the milligrams than we do on the percentage because it's more accurate. Gotcha. 
Yeah, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. Um, you know, in, in Pam, I know from your experience as being um, an oncology nurse, you know, here in Texas, about as close that aside from the compassionate use program, about as close as physicians can get um, to medical cannabis is Marinol. And I know that's, that's really, um, that's it, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of where it is. Eloise, do you have any thoughts on, on Marinol and how that might differ or? I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so Marinol is a synthetic THC. It does not come from the plant at all. Um, it's 100% THC, and it does influence those cannabinoid receptors we mentioned earlier much differently than the plant does. So what happens is people tend to have more side effects related to the Marinol product than they do an actual cannabis product. And I mean, I remember before I became um, a cannabis advocate that my, my cancer patients would tell me, oh, I tried Marinol, but then I, I got a hold of the actual, you know, marijuana plant and I had a much better experience. Um, now I realize that has to do with how it influences the receptors. Um, so Marinol is very expensive for patients. Sometimes it's not covered by insurance um, and it doesn't always meet their needs. Um, yeah, that's, that, that's interesting. Um, I, I was not aware that it, that it did not even come from, I was thinking it was some, it was a, a port, you know, part of the same family. Um, but that's, that's very educational. Um, Pam, I think the, the, the key thing, maybe a lot of our listeners might be curious about is wondering what is the legality and what happens, right? With what are my chances? What are my risks? If I go to say Trinidad, or if I go to, uh, Oklahoma city or New Mexico. And I, I, I tried this and it works so well for me. I'm going to bring some back. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I just, I, you know, this is, this is just important for everyone to know just the risk versus benefit. Um, the, the risk is there. Uh, so, um, I, and, and Eloise, you know, coming from California, uh, you'll be surprised or maybe not surprised to hear that in Texas, uh, if you go and you come back and you're caught, um, it, it, less than one gram, so up to one gram, is a state jail felony. And so I feel like we have to bring that up um, so that as we're talking about education, we need to talk about that as well. That's not saying if you decide the risk is worth the benefit, um, that's your choice. Um, but we just want to make sure everyone understands that. Right, Pam? Right. And then also some of our patients may be in Colorado or Oklahoma or New Mexico where the laws are different than Texas for sure. Absolutely. And they're probably going to know those laws. Um, I didn't spend time looking those up because quite frankly, I don't, we're, we're here, you know, I didn't feel like I needed to know that. Um, right. But no, I think that that's a very good point because we do have listeners elsewhere that in other States where these are uh, a little bit more user-friendly maybe there. Right. The other thing that I have a question on, um, I see a lot of um, CBD um, stores popping up. Um, seems like a lot more than I ever have seen in the past. What's the difference between CBD and medical cannabis? Yeah, I think that's a, a really great question because there's so much misinformation out there. And um, I just want to touch really quickly on the um, lega legality of uh, the challenges around you know, cannabis being still a schedule one drug. So even here in California, if I had, you know, my cannabis in 
drove to Oregon, which is another legal state, I'm crossing the state line. It's a federal offense. So um, it really puts patients in um, hard positions because this becomes their medicine that they can't travel with. And so until we see federal legalization or decriminalization, we're going to continue to have these barriers. Um, so, you know, that's part of the work that we're trying to do is to advocate for that. You know, looking at CBD with the emergence that has come in the last, you know, 10 years or so, um, the molecule CBD is the same whether it comes from the marijuana or the hemp plant. Um, the, the products that you're seeing on the market are being legally defined by the amount of THC in there. So it qualifies as hemp if that percentage is 0.3% or less. So um, what if you want me to go into what patients really need to be mindful of if they're going to purchase CBD, it comes down to making sure that they're getting a quality product because um, they're currently not regulated. So people don't have to test it. They can put whatever they want on the label. There's no third party. There's nobody requiring them to get third party validation. So we highly recommend that people look for what's called a certificate of analysis. These products do get tested so that you can look for potency um, making sure that you know how much CBD is in your product. But most importantly, in our oncology population, we want to make sure it's being tested for molds and pesticides and fungus and other contaminants that could be potentially harmful in their compromised immune systems. Um, so that's really, really important. And I think you'll start to see um, more nurses in this space becoming knowledgeable about cannabis. You know, that's part of the work I'm doing with the American Cannabis Nurses Association. And so we feel we are also a third party validation. So we really help you understand, you know, what you should be looking for. And so you're using it safely and effectively. Yeah. You know, tell us if you can, are the benefits about the same? I mean, is it a totally, I mean, I know it's a, it's a lower percentage, so it's again, that, that comes into play, but can a cancer survivor, can they receive some of the same benefits? Like we talked about the peripheral neuropathy reduction or being a little more relaxed, the, the more homeostasis that we talked about just recently with medical cannabis. Yeah, I mean, there's um, right now it's theoretical because we haven't been able to demonstrate large clinical studies to prove it. But there, um, the theory is that without THC, CBD is not as effective. And again, it has to do with how it influences those receptors. So, you know, product selection is really important. People can use what we call full spectrum CBD, which means there's a little bit of that THC in there um, and can have great benefits with peripheral neuropathy, nausea, um, anticipatory nausea. Actually, we've, we've got some good data to demonstrate that CBD can help with that um, pain and sleep. So there's definitely um, evidence to support starting CBD if that's your only option. Um, you know, here in California, I'm fortunate that I can add in other cannabinoids like THC if I need to, to help them achieve the success that they want. Um, CBD can get expensive and a lot of the studies do demonstrate pretty significant dosages for things like pain and sleep and anxiety. So sometimes it becomes cost prohibitive. Well, and I, a question too about that. So, you know, CBD being legal. However, correct me if I'm wrong, the full spectrum, does that sometimes potentially cause a false positive or can cause a false positive? I'm so glad you brought that up. Actually, so there are three terms out there right now with CBD. There's CBD isolate, which is considered to be pure CBD. 
Um, it's usually uh, refined into a powder form and then reconstituted, nothing else in it. Then you have what's called broad spectrum where the THC has been removed. So it's sometimes labeled as THC free. And then you have full spectrum, um, which is supposed to be as close to the plant as possible. You know, has the THC, small amounts of THC and other cannabinoids and terpenes. Um, broad, this is another challenge because it's not regulated yet in the industry. Some of these broad spectrum or THC free products are triggering a positive THC urine drug test. Okay. So THC free does not mean it's free of THC. And, um, you know, I really want people to know that in case their livelihood depends on a negative drug test. Right. You know, we've, yes. I, we actually have a, a member of the um, American Cannabis Nurses Association who was in, in the military, was using a THC free product and he did test positive. And so now he's got to go in front of the Department of Justice. Sure. Yeah. So again, research and education comes tremendously into play with this. Are there, are there side effects that they need to be worried about? With CBD in particular, it's incredibly well tolerated. Um, we do see some side effects like dizziness. You know, we see that with most, <laughs> most medications. Um, sometimes drowsiness, occasionally some diarrhea, um, changes in appetite. CBD can actually suppress appetite. So again, in our cancer patients, we want to make sure that if they're at risk for appetite loss or weight loss, they're being monitored. Um, but we've given as much as 1,500 milligrams of CBD to humans, and they've tolerated it incredibly well. Good. What are the routes um, for CBD? Is it just creams? Oil? Get similar. No, you can get the suppositories, the creams, the patches, the gummies, tinctures, capsules. You can even get inhalable CBD. You can buy, you know, what we call flour. Um, it's all out there. Wow, I'm just thinking for our patients, maybe they want to go into a CBD store. Like, I feel like that would be overwhelming. Overwhelming and probably inappropriate if they have a serious medical condition. Um, you know, I have multiple examples of where the wrong product was, um, you know, recommended to them um, or the wrong dose or, or the wrong route of administration. So sometimes it can be costly for them to go into these stores because um, you know there's no there's no required training either of the people that sell these products. Yeah. Yeah. Is it is it expensive compared to cannabis, medical cannabis, or is it about the same? It depends. I mean, CBD, you can see some pretty costly products out there. Um, and, you know, if you're using very low dosages of THC, sometimes it can be more cost effective. Mm -hmm. It really just depends on what you're treating and how much you need. But I've seen the cost of CBD come down dramatically now that, you know, there's over 3000 CBD companies in the United States alone. Wow. <laughs> so talk about overwhelming, Pam. <laughs> oh my goodness. How do you pick? I mean, you know, you go and there's 15 different toothpastes. How do you pick which one's right for you? How do you do right. that? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like wine. Sometimes you're like, I like that label. It looks nice. Yeah. You know, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> that, that one sounds really good. I'm going to go. <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about um, research. I know uh, you've, you, we've, we've danced around that a little bit here and there and talked about research. And uh, I, I know it has to be ongoing and, and ever evolving. And I know that um, your organization is probably heavily involved, but can you kind of you know, give us the, the, the high points on kind of maybe where we are and what, what we're looking at and maybe in the near future? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's definitely the the one thing I think many medical professionals will bring up if a patient asks them about cannabis, often the reply they get is, well, there's not enough research or, you know, we can't support it. Mm-hmm. Um, we did have the National Academy of the Science, uh, National Academy Sciences, Engineering and Medicine review about 10,000 peer reviewed studies on cannabis back in 2017. And they came out with their recommendations and there were areas where there was strong evidence. So chronic pain and sleep and uh, muscle spasms, especially um, uh, related to multiple sclerosis. There was really good evidence there that, that cannabis was effective. We're seeing a lot of research come out of Israel and um, which is really exciting. And you know, we're, we're challenged here in the United States because it's a schedule one drug. We cannot study it. Um, there's, you know, huge barricades for uh, anybody to try to study it. And if they do get through all that red tape, they have to use the stuff that's grown in Mississippi, which is like a 3% THC. So it doesn't even accurately represent what people are consuming mm. in states with medical and adult use programs. So we we have such a huge disconnect, um, you know, in terms of, of being able to, to truly study the plant. Do you think that that'll change? I mean, is that, is that a, I mean, obviously who knows, right? But I mean, is there, is that likely to be something that is, is studied more? Yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of hope right now that our current administration will decriminalize cannabis in the next two years, within the next two years. Um, and if that happens, it will open up our ability to research the plant. Um, I do think we're going to see hemp CBD research increase because that's been descheduled. Um, so, you know, I, I try to be a, you know, forever optimist and hope that sure. we'll see it soon. Although it has been 80 years of prohibition. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think I heard you mention on, on a, another different podcast that, when, when prohibition came, when prohibition happened, that marijuana became, you know, schedule one. And that was the end of, of basically any sort of hope for research at that time. Yeah. I mean, what's actually interesting is, you know, cannabis was in our pharmacopoeia back in the 1800s. So it was used for things like colic and painful periods and seizure disorder and Parkinson's. And then the marijuana tax act came in 1937. And one of the, um, you know, the American Medical Association was actually against it because they said it's going to prohibit our ability to research this plant. So medical professionals were not in support of this tax act that led to essentially prohibition. And then in 1970, when Nixon placed it on the Schedule One status. So, you know, the, the medical community wasn't really ever against it. Um, but now we've just haven't had an opportunity to really become educated. So we need to catch up. (laughs) Yes. So for our listeners, where do you suggest them to get their best um, resources? Um, Where You don't want to go to Google doctor, but where do you suggest (laughs) that they can educate themselves further than this podcast? 
One of my favorite resources is projectcbd.org. They provide evidence-based information for the consumer. And they're a great watch group, in my opinion. And um, I would also say Americans for Safe Access is another great resource for patients. And they have good literature there as well. Okay. Would you, would you say your organization that you're the president of, would that be a good, a good resource as well? Is there information there on, y'all's, on your website? It's in transition. <laughs> um, it, you know, we're very much focused, uh, nursing focused. So our, our information is geared towards um, the nurse, either pre-licensed nurse or, or practic- currently practicing nurse. Um, we do um, some webinars that may be appropriate for consumers, but, and, and we do have like a suggested reading list that we're updating and some resources there. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm I, I'm thinking too. You know, uh, if any of our listeners are nurses who need to be more educated, to answer that question, right, Pam? Because you were there and you're there now in a different capacity, but you're still there, getting right. that question, right? To be able to help answer that question, that that's very important. And and then that, the patient talk to the doctor when the nurse knows they're more confident, and maybe the nurse or they like mm-hmm. to talk to the nurse easier than the doctor. So yeah, yeah we're natural advocates. Yeah. The doctor's always busy. You, you guys that are nurses, you're never busy. You have plenty. No, of- we're playing cards, right, Pam? Is that what we did? <laughs> <laughs> I will say one other resource I should mention is um, I work for a nonprofit organization called leaf411.org. Um, it's a free national cannabis hotline for consumers who have questions. So if they did pick up a product and said, I have this CBD and I don't know what to do with it, they can actually call and talk to a, a trained cannabis nurse at no cost. Um, and there's great resources on that website that show all the products that have been vetted by our nurses to make sure that they're safe and effective, as well as a library of educational resources as well. Yeah. And I, I mean that with all jest, I want to no, no, the nurses listening, please don't send me emails and say, Ryan thinks we're, we're, we, you know, we don't do anything and we have plenty of time. I know <laughs> nurses are wonderful. They're, they're invaluable. So, uh, you know, in just, in just kidding, but I think the, 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 the thing I'm hearing and, and the thing that I think our listeners need to hear is be educated. One of the things we've said, Pam and Eloise, I know you would agree this. One of the things we've said from from day one on this podcast and really day one at the Survivorship Center is be your own advocate. Um, Whether that is you're advocating for a second opinion, a third opinion, whether you're advocating to get on a clinical trial, or whether you're advocating to say, you know what, I I think I want to try this. I want to start with maybe CBD, or I want to... um, you know, go somewhere where I can see if I receive any benefit. You are your best advocate and you need to educate yourself. And talk to your doctors. I mean, if you feel like that's something that you want to try, then you need to talk to your doctors so that they know that you're taking this and be aware. Absolutely. It's very much a patient led movement right now. Um, where patients are trying it and having results and sharing that with with their care team. And I think that is empowering for patients 
Right. Absolutely. So our last segment of the podcast, we like to leave on a powerful moment. Um, we are sponsored by Pete's Car Smart Kia. And we would like for you to share one of your powerful moments with us. Well, as I said, I have many. Um, but there was the defining moment for me because one of the questions I often get is what, what, what led you to this? <laughs> you know, why are you doing this now? Um, and it was one of my cancer patients who was 82 and she had just been diagnosed with lymphoma and was facing a pretty intense chemotherapy regimen. And she said, oh, you know, I'd really like to use cannabis. And, you know, of course in California, we, we had medical at the time and I said, no problem. Let me talk with your doctor. And so I went and spoke with her doctor and her doctor said, no, um, I don't want her to try it, which for me, I was surprised. And so when I went back and gave her this information, she said, oh, that's okay. I'll go out on the streets and get it. Don't worry about it. And that was a very powerful moment for me because I realized that our patients are using it. And if they're going to use it safely and effectively, then it's important for me to be educated enough to provide them with that information so they can make informed choices that empower them and don't jeopardize their health. Yeah. yeah. You know, Pam, I, I, I think back to um, along those lines, as Eloise just shared, when we had um, Ethan Zahn come and, and speak to us at our cancer survivor celebration. And that was kind of one of the things he suggest, he had said that it wasn't really available. I think it wasn't available medically and he had to go seek it out. And it was very odd for him and, and it was difficult and strange and, you know, it, it is. And so um, to really be able to uh, figure out a, a way to do it safely and, and get access to that, if that's what they're choosing, maybe it should be there. Right. Yeah. Wow. Eloise, thank you so much for sharing with us today. I know um, everyone out there today learned at least something. <laughs> I, I, I know, I know they did. Whether or not that's something that you want to partake in or you want to or need, feel like it's, it's, a, it's a necessity, you now know you have that information that you can share. And it's very important um, to be educated and then share uh, that education. And speaking of sharing, Pam, what do we really need them to do as, as well? How about hit all those buttons, the like, subscribe, send it to a friend, do all the things. If they have more questions, they can um, call the Survivorship Center at um, 806-331-2400. And um, we're excited about next week's episode. That's right. You know, and one of the things too, Eloise didn't mention it, um, but Eloise, we're going to, we're going to pick up your book and have it in our resource center here uh, oh, wants to uh, check it out. We have a, a, a large, a, I say a large, it's a moderately large uh, resource library with good educational uh, books and videos and, and so forth. So we're going to add that to our collection uh, for those to check out. And uh, we certainly do thank you again for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having this conversation for your, your community and for cancer patients. Good deal. Good deal. Yes. Speaking of next week, Pam, we're going to be back another week uh, on Tuesday. All of our episodes are on Tuesday. So uh, stay tuned for next week's episode of Beyond the Ribbon, and we'll talk to you then. 
Thank you for joining us for this episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Make sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and follow us on social media for news and updates. If you'd like more information about the 24 Hours in the Canyon Cancer Survivorship Center, please visit our website, 24survivorship.org. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week.